0: Hello and welcome to this brand new podcast series brought to you by the Birmingham Trainee Solicitor Society. For those listeners who don't know, the Birmingham Trainee Solicitor Society, otherwise known as the BTSS, is an organisation made up of over 300 trainee solicitors, paralegals, students and NQ solicitors. Each year the BTSS hosts a range of social, sporting, charitable and educational events with the aim of bringing young lawyers together and raising their profile across the city and beyond. If you'd like to find out more about what we do, or if you like what you hear and want to become a member, please visit our website at www.thebtss.com and follow our social media pages, links to which you will find in the description. Throughout this series, we'll be discussing a variety of topics relevant to both current and future trainees. Let us know if you'd like to hear about a particular topic by reaching out on our social media platforms Or, if you're feeling brave, on our Anchor account, where you can actually leave us a voice message and may feature in an episode. My name is Amelia Bauer, and I'm a trainee solicitor based in Birmingham. This year I'm also on the BTSS committee as our Education Officer, which means I do a lot of work with students in Birmingham who are completing the GDL or the LPC. But this year we're also launching more content for current trainee solicitors, such as this wonderful podcast. So as you'll have seen from the title of this first episode, we're going to be talking about choosing your seats during your training contract. And I'm delighted to be joined today by fellow BTSS Committee member, Natasha Somi. Natasha, welcome.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: You're welcome. How are you?
1: I'm very well, thanks. And yes, as you said, I am a BTSS Committee member. I am 50% of the social secretary, so it's myself and Charlotte, and I am a second year trainee now. Oh my god, that's weird to say. So I actually became a second year two weeks ago um, and have recently done a seat change. Therefore, I am an expert in this topic, hence why I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm really not. I just love a natter, so that's why I'm here.
0: So, for the benefit of our listeners, can you tell us a little bit more about your role on the committee this year?
1: Um, well, ordinarily, for the BTSS, we would be running um, real-life events with junior lawyers in the Birmingham area and lots of recruit recruiters um, to kind of raise people's profile and op- offer networking opportunities. But obviously, because of COVID and recent situations, everything is online and virtual. So we ran um a virtual quiz which you know I think was pretty original not many people did that (laughs) and um we really were glad to pioneer a breakthrough event (laughs) and then (laughs) it was actually really fun it Um, really was (laughs) if I do say so myself Um, and then we also ran a virtual murder mystery um which was with live integrated actors and that was also really fun um, that was
0: so much fun. I love the dress up part and I'm good at yeah. win best costume because I put so much effort into that.
1: I mean, it's just we all have ball gowns, so we thought we might as well dust those off and, and dress up for a virtual event. Um, So yeah, so that's what we've been up to recently.
0: So do you have anything exciting coming up in the future for members to look forward to?
1: We do indeed. So obviously following the events of the summer, the conversation of race and racial inclusion in the workplace has opened up um which we are so grateful for and we welcome um and we want to keep momentum going on that conversation and so we're hosting a panel q a at the end of this month um so the week commencing the 28th of september there will be an evening discussion um with lawyers on either side of of the spectrum so we've got barristers um, we've got junior lawyers we've got senior lawyers uh, and we will hopefully have um, recruiters there um, to discuss what it is like at at various points in an individual's career um, through the lens of POC um, lawyers and the aim is to hopefully keep the discussion going to share sort of solidarity and, and tips about navigating a career in in such an industry for those that are poc but also for those that aren't poc that are listening um and attend that event that will be hopefully an education opportunity for um how to best support your peers and be good allies um so yeah it's we're very excited about it um and if you are interested please check out our social media pages where we'll be spamming the hell out of it um and also our website um because the date will be confirmed and um a link to the event and registration will be on there so look out for that
0: That all sounds great. I'm really looking forward to that event. I know you've worked really hard on organizing it. So I'm sure it's going to be fantastic and really great to be continuing those conversations, um, which were definitely at the forefront of everyone's minds, uh, especially during the Black Lives Matter, the height of the Black Lives Matter movement earlier this year. So really fantastic stuff. So now that our introductions are out of the way, let's crack on with the episode. Today, we're going to start by giving an overview of just the general process of choosing seats for those listeners who perhaps are yet to start their training contracts or who have just commenced their training contract. Um, Then we're going to move on to talking about some of the things that you should consider when choosing your seat preferences. And then finally, give our little insight into how to secure the seat that you want although i'm not sure there is a definitive answer as you will find out <laughs> so i suppose the first thing we should say is that typically in a training contract most firms structure it so that there are four seats that are six months long that's what my firm does but natasha if i recall correctly i believe your firm does it a different way
1: yeah so i think maybe the old model used to be there are a lot there were a lot of six six seats that were four months long so six four month seats <laughs> um there we go that is a tongue twister um and uh, yeah my firm does that um and I know that we've spoken before about the pros and cons of, of both of those things and I think partly my decision in choosing this firm was was because of the number of seats that you could do I just thought it opened up way more options in terms of free- figuring out where I wanted to qualify, but also potentially taking, you know, secondment or um, client um, secondment opportunities.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think this takes you back to the initial days of researching for your training contract applications. It's what sort of a trainee do you want to be? Are you someone who would prefer to take longer to get settled in a department to get to grips with that area of law? Or are you interested in lots of different areas? Perhaps you don't know where exactly you want to qualify and you would benefit from a wider range of departments. Um, So doing the six seats rather than four. Um, Have you found it easy to get to grips with the work and settle in your teams having a shorter seat?
1: Yeah, so it's an interesting one because um, I actually paralegal before I started my training contract. And I remember it took me about a month or two to get fully comfortable with my role and the jobs that that entailed. And in a similar way with the seats after a month or so, you sort of start getting settled um, and, you know, it's really only in the last month to, to the, does the seat actually get to cash in on how they've trained you and, and you become super useful and they can delegate fully in it. And it's, and it's great, but I definitely think the four months is enough time from my point of view to get to know a seat uh to get to know a team and to kind of be able to get a good amount out of it the only caveat i would say is as is the nature of of any seat you're in the work you get will be dependent on the work that's out there and if you happen upon a seat that's in a quiet period having it only for four months is not great um So for me, I I was quite fortunate that my first seat was corporate um, and it was a a good amount of work. It was a steady amount of work for my first seat and it definitely picked up and there were those classic corporate um, type turnarounds and um, Mm -hmm. late nights. But to be honest, it was a great, uh, well-rounded experience in that seat. Um, And because of the nature of COVID, I ended up in the seat, um, my second seat, I ended up doing it for eight months because it became a double seat Um, just because to try and virtually move a ton of trainees um, was a bit tricky. So yeah, and then I obviously with that got to to see how it would be if I ended up doing a longer seat. And to be honest, I think four months is enough to to get a flavor and see if you'd want to repeat maybe.
0: That's really interesting. So you've almost had the best of both worlds here. (laughs)
1: Exactly, yeah. And I was also quite fortunate that the seat I had to repeat was one I, A, found interesting and enjoyed the team. And I think B, would have ended up asking to repeat anyway. So, yeah, I was definitely quite jammy about that. <laughs> that was good.
0: <laughs> I bet not all trainees were, but very lucky on yeah. your
1: firm. Yeah, exactly.
0: So just casting back to um, your first seat, another point really that people ought to be aware of is that your first seat, nine times out of 10, is going to be pre-allocated by your firm before you even join so a lot of people you know have that notion that oh I want to do this seat that's where I would like my first seat to be and it's usually not possible at all I was allocated my seat and my first seat were you?
1: Yeah absolutely it's interesting I ended up talking to somebody about this the other day um, because I agree nine times out of ten your first seat is pre and my first seat was pre-allocated and I'm happy to talk more a little bit about that but the the one out of 10 does happen and i didn't realize it happened until i spoke to um a, a colleague and she mentioned that because she'd expressed interest in a seat during her interview and her assessment center and i think had turned up to a few events um, you know, you know. once you're on, on the list as a, as a future trainee, you do get invited to certain events, um, or at least for my firm you do. And she'd expressed her interest in it. Nobody else in second year, which I know we'll touch on later, had asked to go for that seat. So she actually ended up getting a seat she wanted. And I think it'll probably be one she ends up qualifying into um, if there's a job. And yeah, it's interesting because I've never really thought much to that that you know if you try and register your interests a little bit before and there is no competition for it potentially you could get your first seat be what you want it to be but no nine times out of ten it is pre-allocated
0: you are right though I think we're going to talk a bit later about making sure that HR are aware of your interests so that's definitely a good point to make there So as most trainees will have their first seats pre-allocated, often you are put in the situation where it's a seat that perhaps you wouldn't have picked yourself or something that initially just does not appeal to you at all. But the important message is I think you'll hear from everyone that you should make the most out of every seat Um, and you take whatever opportunities you get. It might not be something that you think you're going to enjoy, but you could come out the other end swearing that you're going to qualify there.
1: Yeah, I would absolutely agree. I think I think one of the questions I even had um, on my interview was, you know, do you have an open mindset towards seats? And it's funny because, you don't, and I don't think I did. And I think maybe, you know, some people would be different. But I don't think you really give it much thought about the seats you would pick straight away when you are trying to get a training contract. You're just trying to get a training contract. That's your priority. And it's only once you've got that that you need to then think, OK, how is this going to look for me? I actually feel very strongly about making the most out of whatever seat you're given primarily because um, I was given corporate as my first seat and it wasn't my first choice. Um, And like I said, I hadn't really given it much thought, but I think I was more leaning towards litigious straight after the LPC. And I, you know, those are the sorts of modules I enjoyed. So I was thinking, okay, I definitely want to see this in practice, but then being put into a corporate seat was actually a blessing in disguise because one, it, is a seat that sort of sits above quite a lot of other areas in that you will inevitably interact with IP, real estate, pensions, potentially litigation, tax. You'll you'll work with different teams in an office, employment, um, because if there are, you know, any sort of MA deal, will have those elements and you'll need to sort of, for due diligence, reach out to those teams and sort of look at um, those areas. So it's actually a great seat for like uh, building up your internal profile for example and if you look at it that way you might think okay the subject matter isn't necessarily what I'm interested in straight off the bat but what it can give you in other ways is really really useful Um, and indeed you'll actually find like you said if you keep an open mind there will be elements that surprise you and I definitely found that also in terms of seats that you might not think you find as interesting there could be some crossover with a seat that you do find interesting. So, for example, in the flip of that, so I'm now in commercial and I enjoy commercial, but there's a lot of corporate support that happens in commercial. And if I was inclined to go into a more corporate direction, I could talk to my team and say, is there a way I can get involved in more corporate support type of work in this seat um, if it's available? And then you can build up your uh, link with that other seat through the seat you're in so I think when you kind of get put into a seat people think that's it I'm kind of you know it's sort of square around me there's no way out but actually if you kind of work with the team understand how they work with other teams there's scope to um, get a lot of different experience.
0: Absolutely there's always crossover between teams I don't think there are many teams that work exclusively on their own so there's always opportunity when you're in any seat I think to collaborate with other departments and yeah just see how that crossover works in practice so normally midway I'd say through your first seat you probably want to start thinking about where you're next going to be moving to and HR or whoever it is at your firm that deals with trainees would be asking for your preferences and usually you submit a list at my firm there are eight trainees so we would list our preferences in order of one to eight at my firm we only got the list of available seats after the second years have had their seats allocated Uh, i don't know if that's the same for you
1: i know that's quite different actually and that's interesting um because i think the way you choose your seats massively depends obviously where second years end up because they'll get first priority um as they are closer to qualification Um, and it feels so unfair in your first year but then you become a second year as I became two weeks ago and you're like this is only right this is just unfair (laughs) and I should be getting first pick but um you earned that right (laughs) exactly it's very much a kind of yeah you have to pay your dues a bit but it for me it's the same in terms of in our firm it's sort of midway through your seat the for us it's HR will sort of reach out and say will be giving you reviews that you know will chat you through chat through with you how your seats going and also where you are looking to go to next and they might give you a steer having spoken to the second years about whether or not there's availability as to where you want to go to um and then from there they will get a list together of preferences and actually we have graduate grad partners and they finalize the list so in each of the offices the grad partners will look and allocate and obviously um there are a few elements to bear in mind, um, from my experience, I've realized that where you end up might not just be where people want to go. It's also about business need. So there'll be times when, yes, you've spoken to second years, but also they might shut down certain seats based on where work is needed. And if they need double trainees in certain seats, so quite a few different factors to consider. And then also, um, something to bear in mind as well, is the fact that, yes, you can find out through graduate recruitment where second years end up or you could just talk to people. And I think that's something that is a bit of a taboo on because some people like to keep their cards close to their chest. But I found that if you are more open, it's easier because people can Absolutely. make informed decisions. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And we're going to be talking a little bit about tactics and <laughs> how people secure their seats um, a little bit later.
1: I suppose then the next thing to talk about really is the things to consider when you're choosing your seats. And I know that there are a lot of different views, shall we say, about this um, and also dependent on the firm you're at and the number of seats you do. But um, Amelia, in your experience, what are some of the things that you know to consider before picking
0: seats? So I think timing is a big thing. So there is an unwritten rule that you want to be qualifying. You want to do the seats that you're going to qualify into in your second year. Mm-hmm. And that's because, you know, by the time you've got to your second year, you've already done two or three seats and you've got a lot more experience under your belt. You can hit the ground running, uh, so to speak, and make a better impression. You know, you know, your the IT systems, You you know, your way around the firm, basically. So, that is something that people do try to consider. I've certainly considered that when when looking at my preferences for seats. Uh, you've got to have, I think, a long-term plan and vision for how you want your training contract to pan out.
1: Absolutely. I would totally agree with that. And I think a big part of having that long-term vision is looking at when the job list in your particular office or firm comes out. And understanding, OK, the job list comes out around about here which means that the department I may be interested in will be making a business case around about this date. So maybe a few months before that and getting scope for budget for that, which means prior to that date, I should have at least had one seat in the desired team. So, for example, the job list at my firm roughly comes out um, around about our I think it's our fifth seat. Um, So, yeah, it's about May, April, May time and maybe a bit before that actually, which is pretty early, because a lot of people come out more in the summer. But that means before our fifth seat, we want to, or at least in our fifth seat, we want to have mm. done the um, the area that we think we might want to qualify into. And if you save it for your sixth seat, well, that's all well and good. But you know, it's very difficult then to kind of swoop in at the end, and if, if decisions have been made to try and to change that. And I think... I would agree that you should try and aim to do your qualifying seat in your second year. However, I think if you're in a position where you are able to do more than four seats, so for example, we have six seats at my firm, as as we've said, and it's actually good to maybe test it out in your first seat uh, in your first year. Sorry, to test out the, the um, area you're interested in, because then you have, in some cases, the opportunity to repeat. And to say, you know, to firm up and do eight months um, in the area you're interested in and you can maybe repeat it closer to when you qualify. Um, the thing is, with with everything, I would say always talk to the team you're interested in because they might say, we'd much prefer you to get a breadth of experience and we don't care about you repeating. Or, yeah, we've seen you for one seat. We like you. We probably want you to qualify um, here and we would want you to repeat the seat, but... one that's closest to when you join officially so i.e your last seat um and these are all things that if you're not transparent with the team that you're interested in if you're not transparent with them you could end up making some decisions that later on you know there, there were some smarter ones to be made so i think it's always important to just discuss with the team and also discuss with people that have already done that seat as well and 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 cues to get their kind of scope about it
0: definitely and I think like you said this there's a lot of pressure I think to know where you want to qualify and so sometimes if you if you do know where you want to qualify it is best to just try that seat at your earliest opportunity because you don't want to be in the situation where you know come your final seat you still don't know where you want to qualify Mm mm-hmm
1: I think as well, it's important to remember that, um, well, it's hard to remember if it's not happened, but we've now gone through a global pandemic. So anything can happen which (laughs) can scupper your plans for um, how you think your training contract will look. And that can be true for business need. And, And I know that those lawyers that came out of the 2008 crash certainly had a very different sort of market and landscape when they were qualifying and things like that. So... It's best as soon as you kind of get an inkling as to where you're interested to try and get that experience as soon as possible, and you will then ideally have chance to firm that up closer to qualification, or at the very least you can pivot into um, a different area if that's not interesting to you. Um, ironically as soon as I said pivot I definitely thought of that scene from friends
0: um oh my God, same. yeah it's so
1: it's literally one of those words you cannot say without your mind <laughs> it's a
0: loaded word it's it is definitely. a loaded
1: word yeah um I think also just a point that I never why well, not consider it I just don't think it's something you you do think to think about but when you're researching firms right at the beginning and you're trying to find a training contract and you're trying to find the office and you're trying to find the department that you think is interesting. You have to remember that depending on the office and depending on the team you end up, the type of work that you get is, is really dictated a lot by not necessarily what the firm is known for, but what the key partners or key senior associates are skilled at and what they may have a niche specialism in. And I found that, you know, and i know that other colleagues of mine have found that if there's maybe you know a pensions dispute strength or if there's an automotive strength um or you know a particular sector strength then work like that will naturally come in because that partner or that senior associate is known in you know in in sort of networking circles as as having a skill set for that so the so the kind of work that you get will also be dictated sort of that way Um, and that's always important to consider when choosing your seats because you might think you're picking a seat because you love the concept of insurance litigation I don't know who would you know maybe you do And (laughs) and if you do then be mindful that maybe the team you're joining is not an insurance dispute specialism at all and they see very little of that and that, you know, you don't want to waste a seat on, a, on, an, on an idea and a dream if it, if it won't uh, pan out. So, again, ask questions, be transparent and see, you know, make sure you're taking informed decisions when it comes to seats.
0: Yeah, that's such a good point and one that I definitely relate to. So my current seat is construction and I have been doing work on it contracts which i never thought would be a part of the construction team so there you have it and that's that's because again there's a partner and a, an associate who both are really interested in it but also yeah interesting
1: absolutely. as to how that what well, i mean is what that like it servers maybe and construction i don't know that i wouldn't have put them together no so that's interesting
0: yeah i don't know how that works but it does and i've been working on it
1: (laughs) oh cool i feel like another one actually speaking of the team and actually again you know the seat is more than just the subject matter it is the team um and this is a hard one because if you're interested in the area then go for it but another thing to be mindful of thinking long-term and qualification is looking at the makeup of the team and maybe how many juniors you have in the team is it quite saturated at that level and if so How long would it take for your career progression to to kind of get to where you want to get to in your own sort of plan? And that's a really hard one. And it's a kind of crystal ball question. But if you've got a small team, maybe of three people, partner, maybe four PQ, associate and then a junior yourself as an NQ, and then a trainee, you know, that is a team that you know you're going to get a good amount of work, a lot of responsibility, a lot of delegation. Whereas if you've got a team that's made up of five partners, two senior associates, three or four sort of junior associates, an NQ already, and you're trying to join that team, realistically, the work that you're going to get, unless you are slammed always, is going to, it's going to trickle down, you know, so that's something to be mindful of when you're thinking I suppose this is a a qualification consideration but it is also a seat consideration because as a trainee you will again it's a similar sort of role um and that might not dissuade you but it's just something to bear in mind
0: yeah definitely I think there are you can you can sort of spot the trends within your firm if certain teams have posted for NQ positions already this year or if they if they hired an NQ last year, are they are they likely to have a new NQ this year? So exactly. it's things that you can be looking out for from day one really and speaking to NQ, speaking to second year trainees and just try to gauge what the long term if, if you can, especially now with COVID, I don't think anyone really does have the answers or can tell you what the market is going to be like in a year's time. But if you you ordinarily, what you would be considering is the job market beyond qualification. And just as a sneaky plug here, we are going to be having an event in October about qualifying in the COVID era. So if you keep your eyes peeled on our social media handles on our website, links in the description, then you can find out more about that event. But that should be quite a useful insight, hearing from recruiters, hearing from people, um, training principals at firms and an NQ. Well, she's not an NQ now, but she was an NQ during the last recession. So do come along to that event. Uh, So that should be quite a useful insight for current trainees who are qualifying next year.
1: Yeah, I will definitely be turning up to that event. (laughs) (laughs)
0: So one other option that you might have when selecting your preferences is the option to do a secondment. That's not something that my firm offers, but I know, Natasha, you've spoken to me about this before. Um, You've considered doing secondments yourself, haven't you?
1: Yeah, exactly. So um, at our firm, there's an opportunity to do international secondments to Brussels and Paris. And I think maybe in the future, there may be one in Australia, there certainly is for paralegals um, pre-training contract. And there's also client secondments that are quite common um, in some of the other offices. And something that I think uh, an associate had mentioned to me uh, fairly early on was when you choose to do one of those things whilst they are great for your career and they are great for, and I certainly, I have felt this as a paralegal in-house before, it's great for knowing how clients think. Choosing when you do them, again, the timing thing is really crucial because you want to ensure you're building up your internal profile in a firm so that when it comes to hiring, you are someone that the office you're in know well and the team you want to qualify into also know well. And so, and for your own self, going away, you know, either internationally or in, in-house during the sort of um, interview set sort of period of, of the NQ process is probably not the best time to go. Um, you'd ideally want to be on the ground in the office um, that you're trying to qualify into so that again is just a timing's point of view obviously some things might be out of your hands in in terms of when the firm offers those seats but I know for us pre-COVID it was very much a case of um, first years would be able to go um, so that it didn't impact the sort of interview stage of second year Um, so yeah that's just another point to consider
0: yeah so timing is key would you say it's a good idea to go on a secondment for your first seat?
1: That's an interesting one. Um, I definitely have heard people's views on this. I have to say I had not I've not had that experience. But tricky thing with a secondment on your first one is as a first year, you're getting sort of settled into a, a new office and, in, and a new way of working if you haven't worked um, in practice before. And it takes a minute to get your name out there, get your face out there in the office. And if you've not been there for the first four or potentially six six months, that's a bit tricky. You know, that's, you will in some ways have to catch up when you get back. And so I think if you're going to take that decision and it fits into your long-term career plan, you may, you may have the plan of going in-house long-term, in which case you probably don't care. But if you really have have the goal of being um part of the in in practice teams, then thinking about when you're um going honest a comment is kind of crucial again I know some firms they don't really give you the choice like that in the same way we spoke about before your first seat is kind of out of your hands I know some some offices where so comments are kind of out of your hands and they need to have a number of trainees um, on rotation in certain in-house positions and that's just the way it is um and if that does happen just make sure that you're coming back to social events where possible you're engaging in writing blogs if you can you're still building up your internal profile wherever possible you know having coffees with people um attending you know virtual lunches or or bd lunches or business development lunches You've got to try and keep your hand in if you can then. Um, but that would be my, my opinion on it.
0: I think that's just a great point in general. Like People often have that misconception that all of the hard work is getting the training contract in the first place. And that is true to an extent, but the work doesn't stop once you start your training contract you still need to do all that internal networking and and external because who knows where your career will take you not many people can say that they spend their whole career at the firm they trained at so it's it's always good to be to be making the most of any opportunities you have out there and the btss is a great way of networking just as another cheeky plug
1: exactly i think the funniest thing is is when you in the same way, when you get your place at your desired university, that isn't the hard work doesn't stop there. It starts there. But you then have to do your three year degree or four year degree. Likewise, when you get your training contract, that's great. That is a great achievement. But a training contract is essentially a two year job interview. So you always have to be hustling, basically. Um, <laughs> and it's just good to kind of be aware of that and alive to that as soon as you start so it doesn't hit you in the face on your first day. (laughs) So the final segment I suppose of this um, discussion is the all-important how to get the seats you want and I want to preface this section by saying something that I was told by my first supervisor in my first seat which is you should never get distracted by the tactics because ultimately you want to pick what you want to do and stay focused on that and not be dissuaded by the noise of what everyone else does and you can really end up getting bogged down in it and um it can feel feel quite stressful as well so always remember that if you want to do something just just do that there is however maybe ways to make sure you're making a really informed decision and again we've spoken so much about timing and who you're talking to and making sure you're, um, you're really understanding what's, what the actual work would look like in the seat you're going into. So I think when, it's, when we talk about getting the seats you want, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Amelia, but I think the two key things are one, timing, and two, open discussion.
0: Yeah, I totally would agree with that. Um, I'd perhaps also add it's important to make an informed decision. So particularly for your first, second, third choices, it's there's a good chance that you could get that and you don't want to be making a decision at surface value. Um, so it's really important when you are thinking about those preferences to speak to fellow trainees who've already done that seat, get to know the seat managers. I mean, before COVID, coffee meetings were like the greatest thing ever (laughs) but it's not not so not so easy virtually but I think there is still that expectation um of those members of firms who are still in those trainee circles so your seat managers and and the like so do reach out to them virtually and see if you can you know take 15 minutes of their time just to chat through what they what they work on and how their seat operates how the trainee operates within their teams. And I think that, um, yeah, definitely timing and, oh, what was the other one? <laughs> timing, and, open timing and open discussion with your fellow trainees are important. But like you said at the start, ultimately you want to be putting down seats in your preferences list that you want to do. So just making sure that you are comfortable with your decision and doing that due diligence before you submit your list is really important
1: yeah completely and i think one of the sort of sage pieces of advice i was given was hr don't really want to hear your no list so try and lead with your positive you know this is what i want to do and these are the reasons why just don't say the names of the seats that you don't want to do like if there's a seat that you really really Mm -hmm. don't want to do just don't utter its name because the moment it's get it spoken into existence even if there's a huge caveat that says i don't want to do this it's already putting it out there and I know from stories I've heard at different firms as well like you just want to be leading with solutions not problems and if you can make a good you know so for example I think the best way I can do this is from my experience so obviously I got put into corporate and If I had said no to corporate, let's say, let's say I was given the choice and I was like, I don't want to do corporate. I would never have got the benefits that I've got from corporate and they have been huge. Like They were hugely beneficial for my corporate um, commercial litigation seat because the kind of clients that we were dealing with in the corporate team ended up filtering through into the litigation team in other ways. Um, I got to do a lot of commercial um, DD um, and now I'm in a commercial team. And I'm looking at the corporate support stuff. So when you shut down a seat, that's potentially a missed opportunity. But then secondly, I was able to bank the fact that I did a seat that I wouldn't have naturally put down as my first option. And I can use that a little bit as leverage for saying for my second seat, I would really like to be able to do commercial litigation. And I'd already seen what other people in second year were putting down and no one was going for it and so it was really just my own peer group that I had quote-unquote as competition and even there people because of our open discussion I was able to see that okay yeah there are people that want to do it but they had put other seats down that no one else had gone for and therefore they got those so for example if we'd both gone if two people had gone for commercial litigation And the other person had also put pensions down, but no one else had gone for pensions, then the likelihood is they would have been put in pensions. And that's exactly exactly what happened. And so um, for me, I, I really think, like Amelia said, having being informed and having those coffees or virtual coffees with the department you're interested in, maybe with the partners or the supervisors, or even if there's an NQ that you get on with, speaking to those people and expressing interest. When you speak to HR, you can say, "Not only am I interested in this. Not only did I not maybe get what I wanted the first time round, I've already registered interest with this team, and they seem, you know, I'm on their radar. It would make sense that I get put there." Um, and those are all great things for your own career development. They're all positive things, and they aren't they aren't negative. You know, it's not you saying, "I don't want to do these things. I only want to do this." Full we'll stop. You know, so it's a way of phrasing it, basically, to
0: Yeah, I think as a trainee, you don't ever want to be the person that says no. You want to be a yes person. Um, So yeah, if you are able to offer a solution, like you said, be proactive. That's such a big thing. I think as a trainee, being proactive in many ways. Um, So if if you know from day one that there's a team that you really would like to to train with, just make that known, and not not just by your words but by your actions. So do have those coffee meetings and if there are opportunities to help the team often at my firm if a team's particularly busy they might send an email around to all the trainees saying does anyone have capacity to help out be that person that's straight away saying yes
1: another good point to mention as well is maybe not in your um second or third choice but let's say you've done a seat and you're like okay this one might be the one i want to qualify into it is then really worth maybe in your sort of mid-seat appraisal or your end-of-seat appraisal before you move to talk to the supervisor and partner supervisor and sort of say I think I would want to do this if not here somewhere else you know if there's no job here I'd want to do this wherever so I'm pretty keen on this area of law can you recommend what complementary seats I should do and you might already have a gut instinct about that anyway but just to have You know somebody in the team say okay well we would probably say x y and z when you then go again to make your pitch to hr about where you should be put or where you'd like to be put it's another reason and it's a valid reason to say i'm seriously considering this area of law these are the things that complement it can we see if that's possible you know so you've already registered interest in those seats it's useful for your career development um Maybe also you might need to balance out how much contentious versus non-contentious you've got. These are all sort of reasons and arguments to put forward that are fair. Um, I think the tricky thing is if people go in on the sort of very basic level of I don't find it interesting or I'm not interested in this, you might run into some trouble there. Um, And like we've said as well. Again, as much as you can make your pitch, it will again come down to business need. And I know that some teams, especially given COVID, have had to close down some seats that aren't as busy and actually ask for double trainees in some of the seats and even requested second years. You know, I've heard that at other firms as well. So that's just something to always absolutely as much
0: as you can think tactically you are ultimately a resource of the firm and you can't predict how you know what what seats are going to be available to you in your second year
1: um just as you might get put into a seat that you might not have originally or ordinarily have chosen and that can be sort of leverage if you've been consistently putting a seat down for sort of you know the past couple of seats and you've not got it that in itself is also leverage so you can say you know i've expressed interest in this i'm clearly keen and one of the things as well and this is i suppose maybe a bit risky but worth considering and weighing up yourself is if you know there is a second year that is going to pick the seat you want but you want it and you definitely want it in the next round or at some point soon put it down as your first one and then maybe as your second you can put something that you also want to do but then that way technically you've not been given your first option um the risk obviously is that the one you end up in is then your second option and so if someone else has also put it as a second option you're then tied with somebody else and you could be um you know there's a sort of competition issue there so if that one that you're putting second is actually one you desperately want then maybe also put that put that first instead so that you get it you know these are all it is a Mm -hmm. sort of sliding scale and these are all considerations and actually that's why I say as well and 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 we've both been saying it it's so important to talk to your cohort and I know it's a tricky one and I know it depends on the kind of um atmosphere and vibe you have with your cohort but if you can be transparent and you can see where people are going it just helps your cause you only have everything to gain from it and you know there's nothing really that you can lose truly because if you're still going to put your options down like we said before they'll just be more informed
0: yeah i agree. Think openness is is really important and nobody wants any nasty surprises if someone's given you an assurance that they're going to put i don't know employment down as their first choice and lo and behold they've actually put corporate down and that's what they get it's just not gonna not gonna go down well and That might be your personal tactics if you want to go through your career in that way. But for me, I personally don't. And I think it makes for quite a toxic atmosphere amongst trainees. And you don't want to be burning bridges at an early stage in your career. So I think being open, being honest, if there's people going for the same seats as you, so be it. Um, It's out of your control. So you can think tactically going down your list, as you said, um, think carefully about second, third, third fourth choices but you don't want to be in a position where you know all of those seats are also another person's second third and fourth choice because then you really can't predict where you're going to end up and you could end up in a seat that you know is fifth sixth preference and no one's going to enjoy that really
1: (laughs) no I think that's such a cautionary tale and it's so true it's at the end of the day it'll all come out in the wash at the end anyway and you know word travels fast when people end up having coffees or expressing interest in certain seats that gets a lot like people pick that up so even if you're trying to do one over on somebody else someone will see that and if not in that seat in the next round so like you said you don't probably don't want to start your career off in that way um, and, it, and at the end of the day if there's someone that also wants to qualify there when it comes to qualification there will be somebody there challenging you for that role so these are inevitable um, realities of the fact it's a training contract. There are a finite number of job opportunities and the openness that you express and show right at the beginning can probably benefit the majority then, you know, so it's just a word (laughs) for the wise. Yeah,
0: absolutely. (laughs) I think ultimately it is important to just have an open mind to wherever you are placed um, because there are, there are good things to learn in every seat even if it's not your first choice this time around that, you know, make the most of wherever you do end up. And I would just add as well, if you, if you are certain from day one, where you want to go, it's good to be consistent and make that known to who the powers that be, but be very wary of changing your mind. This is something that um, many people have said to me because um, I started my training contract fairly sure that I want to go into a particular area. I'm still thinking that I'm going towards that area for qualification. But they said, you know, you can sometimes try too hard. And if you make too much noise and then change your mind later along uh, in your training contract, that's going to make you look like you're inconsistent, that you um, are not committed to your decisions. So just be too, just be careful about how you voice your preferences and be mindful that you know day one you might be leaning towards a certain area for qualification but after a few weeks in your seat it might might change your mind and yeah you just don't want to come out of that situation looking badly there are so many things to consider i feel (laughs) like you can go around there really
1: are no it's i i would agree but i actually complete i completely agree with that point because and I've heard this from people that are now that are second years that have not been able to get the job that they wanted. And some of the feedback I've heard is and I, you know, it's it's a tricky one, but expressing keenness, like showing that you're keen and that you're hungry for the job at the end comes from registering your interest pretty early on if you can and, you know especially if it's a highly competitive area and the seat where you know that there'll be a lot of people gunning for that NQ role you need to get your voice out there fairly fast to that team and so it is important to register that interest especially before the B you know they they continue they consider their business case for it um and that's all well and good but like you said make sure that that is an informed decision because if other teams get wind of that it would also maybe alter their likelihood of offering nq roles you know people tend if if you're not on their radar they're not going to make a business case for for asking for an nq and getting budget for an nq and so you probably want to hold that card close to your chest until you're certain that this is where you want to end up um
0: yeah, speak to your appraiser, speak to your line manager or second year trainees. They're a great uh, group of people to talk to because they've, they've been through what you're going through and NQs as well to help you make that decision because it can be a really stressful time. I haven't yet decided where I want to qualify. I think you, you're fairly certain, aren't you?
1: Yeah, and I think my, it's interesting that you say that because for me looking at the job market looking at the business need and the likelihood of budget for where I think I want to qualify has a factor on my openness about where I'm going so I think with my with the team that I am interested in I've made it clear that I'm interested have I sort of said this is earmarked where I'm going to end up no because I think right now I'm only I've only just become a second year it's I need to be cautious about the fact that there might not be jobs available in that area and if there aren't that's fine but then I need to be open-minded about where there could be jobs um likewise you might not always end up staying at the same firm and that's totally fine too but um you basically don't want to start saying this is where I'm going to end up and then every every seat you end up in those people hear that you'll have no intention of ever even thinking of them as a potential qualification, because that also could impact the kind of work you get, I mean no one would do it intentionally but it makes sense right, if if people think you're just sort of passing through they're not going to necessarily um, go above and beyond Definitely. to try and help you My
0: current, um, my current seat manager so, said to me cause she trained at my firm as well said you want to be going to each seat and leaving with them wanting you to qualify there and not because you said I want to qualify there but because you performed so well I would agree yeah
1: and I think that's I mean that's definitely a sentiment in our office um, and I know those that became in queues um, the last time round, and actually the time before that essentially that is the feedback that they got from each of their seats that they you know multiple teams wanted them and that's that's testament to going into every seat with an open mind Um so, yeah. so I guess
0: this is all gearing up now to how do you decide where to qualify well we can confirm that at some point in this podcast series we will be discussing that. And I'm hoping to be able to get an NQ to join us for that episode to give their insights. Oh but yeah, Lord. um, I guess that concludes this episode then really, unless you have anything else to add, Natasha.
1: Um, I would just say that um, you know, the BTSS is a great way to get lots of different perspective about being a a junior lawyer especially in Birmingham obviously you'll be able to ask a lot of questions about different types of seats so do subscribe to our social media and have a look at our website and if you're able to if you're a student um, or if you're a prospective trainee and even if you're an NQ not that NQs (laughs) would be listening to this podcast episode
0: but they might want to listen for the the nostalgia
1: oh absolutely (laughs) reminisce upon times gone by um yeah, well, you can all become members and um, do keep an eye out on our social media pages, our Instagram, our LinkedIn um, for the Race and Law event that is coming up shortly at the end of this month. Um, it has been an absolute pleasure taking part in the first episode, one yeah. of many, I hope. Um, and Thank, thank you so for joining.
0: For it's me. been a pleasure having you and hooray for episode one. <laughs> Thank you everyone for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.